In one trendy Denver neighborhood, right next to a golf course, we find an old home almost hidden in plain sight. Unkept bushes cover the windows. Overgrown trees consume the front porch. It's been missing for more than a year. Inside, a 69-year-old man. He wouldn't look you in the eye. An urban hermit who permanently shut himself off from society. Basically disappeared. So removed from life and people, nobody knew he vanished. We do know police found a body. A year after his family searched his home. Well, there's no way he was there when we searched after him. unsanitary conditions hindered their investigation. A year after he was declared missing. We'll be out with the health department at The mystery of Chuck family. came to a bizarre end. No more after the coroner's report. Who's to blame? How does a man become... He was found in his own home. home. Lost at home. <laughs> he is, he defines curious cat. Wow, he's so friendly. This particular breed is an unusual breed in that they stay eternally kittens. Hi, guy. <laughs> oh, you're good. You have a dog too? I do. I have a six month old Belgian Malinois. Yeah. She's off at boarding school. Oh, cool. Somebody coming home? Yeah. This is a rotating cast of characters, mostly uh -huh. who who don't interact with the neighborhood, uh -huh. they interact with Uber. And I have no idea who lives there. The cars change periodically. Huh. They throw marijuana cigarettes and cigarettes over my wall, which I am not thrilled with, particularly yeah. with a young pup. And I've never seen that guy before yeah. ever, or that truck. Welcome to episode two of Lost at Home. I'm Jeremy Hohola with Nine News, and at this point of time, I'm in a bright living room with colorful decorations on the walls. This room, this place, it feels like a spot a really educated, earthy, hippie type of person decorated. There's a huge south-facing window that is letting loads of sunlight in. Interesting trinkets are on the bookshelves, natural organic mementos, you know, like an ocean-bleached jawbone of a small fish and other such items. There are large plants and a little bubbling fountain. There's art and photographs and weavings. A really thick book about da Vinci is on the coffee table with a bookmark. It's a very soothing, peaceful environment. I kind of feel like the sudden urge to get into the lotus position and meditate here. We are visiting with Christy Peterson, Chuck's neighbor, who lives two homes down. Remember, we ran into Christy behind Chuck's house during the last episode. Hi there. Yes, ma'am. How you doing? If there's anybody who is the opposite of a recluse, it's Christy. I I don't know what I can yeah. uh, what I can give to this. Well, you've lived on the street. For I a have long, lived yeah. on the street, and I and I had spoken with Chuck, and uh -huh. the interactions were pretty limited. Did he go by Chuck? Is that what he called himself? He did. He called himself Chuck. The one time that I had a face-to-face -face conversation with him, basically walking up Tennyson Street for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. He was, I was walking and he was had his bicycle and he was you know, rolling it beside himself. He'd been in the grocery store. Uh -huh. And I made a point to talk to him because I'd never spoken with him. How long him. ago is this? Maybe four, three or four years ago. Oh, okay. Because he, his interactions, he wouldn't look you in the eye if, if you went by in the driveway in your car. He didn't say anything. He didn't look up from whatever he was doing, uh -huh. even if he was out in his yard. And what did you, what did you guys talk about then? Um, 
they were, they were building a new house. They had torn down a house and they had the basement dug. And I said, oh, this is gonna be a big house. And that's how I opened the conversation with him. And he said, yeah, it is. It seems like it's gonna be. And then we just kind of chatted, normal neighborly chat. And I uh -huh. said, you're the guy who lives in the corner, right? And he said, yes, I'm Chuck. And I said, you know, I live two houses down from you. I'm Christy. And, you know, I see you out in the yard periodically. And, and he was very pleasant, articulate, interactive. As we sit and listen to Christy, we learn she's a retired physician who specialized in internal medicine and did a lot of urgent care work. So I think she seems quite credible and honest about what she remembers. Before we hear from her more, let's review the timeline. That way you understand the context of what she's about to describe next. Chuck was reported missing in February of 2017 and then found one year later, almost to the exact day inside his own living room. Christy believes she is the last person to see Chuck alive, which could have been around October of 2016, about four months before his family filed a missing persons report. Chuck's family filed that report in February of 2017, after they came to his home to look for him. Christy remembers that day. When would you say is the last time you probably saw Chuck? Her sister came by uh -huh. and said that he had been missing his family thought since September. It was early spring, I remember, because I was sitting out in the front porch kind of soaking up the solar gain. Uh -huh. And she came over and she, she said he'd been missing. This was his sister. His sister, uh -huh. uh, thinking it was since maybe September. And I said, oh, I saw him in October, November. He was out in the back, his backyard. And I said, I remember, remember it because I think it was near Halloween. It, it was like near a holiday, like Halloween or, or Thanksgiving. And I said, I think I saw him then. This was probably in 2016. Because yeah. he had been missing since 16. His family was there that day when his sister was here, if I recall, mm -hmm. or close thereafter, because I had seen a whole bunch of people at the house uh, with pickup trucks around, and they were cleaning up the yard. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Did Chuck hire somebody? Yeah. And I think that was before his sister came over. Yeah. And then even after that, his kids came through and were looking at the yard and cleaning up some stuff. And I know they were in and out of the house, but his sister had said that the kids had been in and out of the house. His sister said he was a real hoarder, that there was lots of stuff in the house, and they were worried that he had gone off with somebody or that there had been some foul play or... Oh, really? You know, they were concerned because yeah. he just basically disappeared. She said that there was water in the basement, um, that um, he was a hoarder. Could you tell he was a hoarder? Just looking at his yard, his yeah. backyard. When the first day I saw you, you were out in the backyard. Yeah. Well, they'd cleaned that up. Oh, so that's clean. That's clean, yeah. yeah they had okay. taken a whole bunch of junk. I mean, he had three cars, two of which were under tarps, that big, huge pickup truck. There's a boat, some kind of trailer, and there was a motorcycle overturned in the front, bicycle or two. Did you ever talk with your neighbors about Chuck? Well, after living here for a couple of years, I asked my neighbors uh, to the west, you know, what's with this guy? Yeah. And 
as embarrassed as I am to say it, he had a resemblance to Ted Kaczynski, yeah. the Unabomber, and I kind of jokingly called him the Unabomber. He was so reclusive. He was tall and slender with a beard sometimes, longish hair sometimes. Um, so I said, what's with the Unabomber in the corner? Yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, he's very reclusive. Yeah. And they hadn't spoken much with him either. He didn't really talk to anybody on the no. street then. No, uh-uh, not at all. You know, that one conversation, that yeah. singular conversation I had with him walking up the street was a pleasant interlude in a pretty reclusive guy's life, I guess. And this was like the one time you spoke with him, like, right. like what, 15 years in living here? I've lived here 15 years, about. Did he ever put any in like Christmas decorations or Halloween decorations Oh, heavens, up? no, no. And I doubt if any kids knocked on his door. What do you make of his disappearance? I wondered if he just wandered off, maybe, or that I bicycle and I walk, you know, down here on the Clear Creek Trail and such, and I always thought, well, am I gonna run across a body sometime? And that he may have, because uh, he walked around some, he didn't leave much. I hadn't ever seen him drive. I did notice that the truck was gone occasionally. Chuck's family officially reported Chuck missing to the Denver police February 14th, 2017. Yes, Valentine's Day. That's the day he was entered into the National Missing Persons Database. You've seen those missing persons posters they create. There was a photo of Chuck from his driver's license. They list his height, six feet tall, 170 pounds, thin build, hazel eyes, brown gray hair, race is white. There's also a brief paragraph at the bottom. His family is very concerned of his whereabouts and would appreciate any information. He is in need of medication and cannot be without it for long periods of time. We know that he has last been seen by his neighbors around October 2016. He also goes by Chuck, traveled only by foot or bike in this area. If you have any information on his whereabouts, please contact the Denver, Colorado Police Department. And then there's a couple of phone numbers there. This is when the Denver Police Missing Persons Unit opened a case on Chuck. His family finally filed a, like a missing persons report. Did police ever knock on your door and ask you, hey? No, uh-uh. I never saw police until, how long ago was it? With, when they took him the, When they found him. Yeah, February 22nd. Yeah, it was late February. Yeah. The day that the police were there, I was out walking my dog and stopped by and said, what's happening? A fellow walked up that had a jacket that said medical examiner. Ah, they must have found him. They must have found him, yeah. And I thought, you know, I asked who all these people were, and it was a police officer in a uniform and a guy in a, a, a suit and the guy in an office with a medical examiner jacket. And then a guy walked up with a flashlight and a Tyvek suit, a hazmat suit and a hood. And I thought, they found a body. Having, having a bent towards forensics, I kind of thought, did he die a long time ago? And he's been in the house, and because the heat was off and it's dry in Colorado, did he just desiccate and mummify? It's really sad to see someone who's so reclusive and has so few community interactions to have died in his house alone. That's sad, but that happens to people who are elderly, who don't have any community liaisons, friends, yeah. what have you. 
I could see his living room light on and off. Every single evening. I honestly can't say whether I had any thought that he wasn't there anymore. You know, did I even make two connections in my brain cells that the light wasn't on for weeks at a time? What do you think is gonna happen in the house? Some developer's gonna buy it and put up one of those noxious <laughs> boxes. I know that the development people talk to Chuck to see if he'd clean up his house because that's kind of the gateway to this huge multi, you know, million dollar homes up, not much below a million dollars and up um, development. This is the gateway. That house was just a junk heap, just all kinds of trash and not. So you do know that somebody went over there to go from one of the developers down here to go to talk to him? They talked to him because they were interactive with the neighbors quite a bit before mm -hmm. that development really got going. And he came to me and said, Chuck acquiesced and said, we can pay to clean up the house. Oh, wow. That the developers were going to pay to clean it up? Developers were going to pay Chuck wow. to clean it up because that, like I said, is the gateway to their... It's a visual cue when you turn into the street. Right. It, it's pretty fair to say Chuck's house here, or the property is probably right now a highly sought after property on That's the street. That's the understatement of the century with this development down here. Yeah, I get the Zillow report on this house and it's Yeah, it probably went way up since you bought it 15 years ago. That's the understatement. I'm sure there's a lot of eyeballs on that house, on Chuck's house. I'm sure there are. Yeah, so, I think Christy was, I mean, I think what she said was like really valuable to us because she is the one neighbor that really paid attention to what was going on from what we can glean here. She's colorful, she's she's kind of articulate, you know, she's bright, she's outspoken a little bit. And what she tells us is that the family actually went in there between the time he was declared missing to the time he was found dead. So she says she saw them inside the house. So what did they see? What didn't they see? You know, was Chuck was, was Chuck actually in there when, when they were in there? Did they miss him? Were his remains so badly deteriorated that they just couldn't, and I hate, hate to say this, you know, to get gruesome here, but maybe they just couldn't smell him, you know? Or maybe he was so mixed in with the debris in his house, they just missed him. They just walked right over him. Maybe Chuck wasn't even in the house at all. Maybe he was still alive. Maybe he was walking around somewhere or living somewhere else or spending time with some other people. I mean, where was Chuck at this time? I would expect, like, let's say if I had a family member that was missing, I would expect the police department to at the very least do a couple of door knocks with their neighbors. I would expect at least a detective or someone who's in that missing persons unit to do their own kind of cursory investigation to get at least a sense of what neighbors know. And it's clear that the police never even talked to Christy. She is potentially the last person to see him alive. She knows a lot. What's the obligation of the police department when someone is declared missing? Is it just that they just put them into a database and that's it? Or are they obligated to actually do some door knocks and interviews and, you know, phone calls? That's something I really want to find out. I really want to hear from Chuck's family. I really want to hear what they have to say. At this point in time, I think we have to try to reach someone who knew Chuck, a blood relative, 
And then I think we have to reach out to the police department. We have to find out what the police department did and maybe didn't do. That's what we've got to find out. Next time on Blame, Lost at Home. Hi there, um, is this Jeff Frary? Yeah. Uh, hi, Jeff. I hope I'm not catching you at a bad time. We continue to try and find answers. He, we searched the house. But found even more questions. We searched it a couple times, but we didn't find him anywhere. So, are you a fan of this podcast? Please share on your social networks. Make it easier for other true crime fans to find blame lost at home.